You're listening to sermon audio from Gospelite Baptist Church. For more resources or to donate to this ministry, please visit gospelite.org. Turning your Bibles to John chapter 10. That's where we're going to be, the Gospel of John. And we are in the middle of a sermon series called Refreshed. And so it is, I think, very timely with all that is happening in our country today, even just the things we've prayed about a moment ago, to be reminded of how important it is for us to understand that God desires to bring us refreshing and refreshment. He desires to do that. In fact, we can discover revival from the presence of the Lord. He has a plan for you and I to live what we're calling this morning, not just life, but abundant life. In fact, Madison's baptism this morning was a testimony of the new life that we have in Christ, that she's beginning. But there's something else that's happening in Madison's life as well. And she mentioned it at the last line of her testimony, I just feel so free. And that freedom that she's experiencing as the grave clothes come off, as we'll see in just a moment, and she begins to understand that salvation is not just about heaven. It's about walking and living for Jesus and being a a, a witness and a testimony to others in her family and beyond. So it's, it's exciting, and I'm so thankful for her. So John chapter 10, verse 10, join me in reading this very first uh, verse in, the, in, our, in our message, and then we're going to kind of walk through an introduction here together. John 10, 10, our text verse, our theme verse this morning for this refreshment is, a thief comes, or the thief comes only to steal and kill and destroy, but notice this, Jesus said, I came that they might have life, but not just life, an abundant life. Life and have it more abundantly. Now, one of the incredible things about studying the gospel of John is you'll find out that there are seven miracles in the gospel of John. And these seven miracles are actually seven signs. They are miracles. Yes, they really happened. They actually happened. Jesus actually did these things. They are true. But beyond that, there's a message. You might say it like this. They are miracles with a message. And the message ultimately of these seven miracles is that Jesus is the answer. What is the answer for? He's the answer for whatever you're going through. He's the answer for whatever situation you're in. He's the answer for those that are suffering through the hurricane down south. He's the answer for the Blocker family. He's the answer for the Robertson family. He is the answer for your situation. So quickly, as we review these seven miracles, and we're not going to take time to to read them, but I did provide for you in the notes just the text where these miracles came from. Might be good discussion this week in some of our small groups. First of all, he turned water into wine in Cana. There was a party, and the refreshment had run out of this party. The wine had run out. And as a result of that, there was disappointment. And what Jesus taught here, the message behind the miracle is that Jesus is the answer to man's disappointment. And then we find another miracle that took place, the healing of this official's son in Capernaum. And it was the very next miracle in the Gospel of John. And this man had a child who was very sick. And he came to ask Jesus if he would heal his child, his son. Jesus quickly identified the fact that his problem was his faith. And so Jesus reached out, healed this man, or healed this man's son, and Jesus taught us something behind this miracle. And that is this, that Jesus is the answer not only to man's disappointment, 
but it's the answer to man's doubt. And then we read the story of the miracle of the invalid at the pool of Bethsaida. When we went to Israel a couple of years ago, we actually went to this pool and to this place where this invalid, this man who was totally paralyzed, there was nothing he could do to help himself. And he cries out to Jesus for help. And Jesus heals him. And we understand the message behind this miracle is that Jesus is the answer to man's disability. And then we read that Jesus fed the 5,000 near the Sea of Galilee. Quite possibly one of my favorite miracles that Jesus performed. I just love the fact that God used this little lad, right? You've read the story. You've heard songs about it. This little lad had this little lunch and Jesus took his little lunch and he fed 5,000 people. And Jesus taught us a message behind this miracle that he is the answer to man's deepest hunger, man's desires. And then there's the miracle of the walking on the, uh, on the water at the Sea of Galilee. What a story that is. Here these disciples are afraid and, and they're fearful of this storm. And Jesus is walking towards them on the water. And he reminds them what seems to be over their head is really under his feet. And Jesus teaches here that he is the answer to man's despair. And then we read the miracle of the blind man in Jerusalem who was born blind. He had never seen anything, born in darkness. And Jesus uh, uh, opens this man's eyes and teaches us this message that he again is the answer to man's darkness. All of these illustrations, all of these miracles really happened. But do you notice how they have a greater spiritual impact on our lives today, 2,000 plus years after they happened? They're still speaking to us today. There's a message behind each miracle. This morning, as we talk about refreshing life through a reviving liberty, I want to share with you the final miracle, the climatic miracle of all the miracles. It is the resurrection of Lazarus from the dead to show that Jesus is even the answer to man's death. Now, what we're talking about this morning is not death. We're talking about life. Because Jesus did not come to bring death. (laughs) Jesus came to bring life. And so I want you to begin reading with me, either in your written word or on the screen with me. John chapter 11, beginning in verse number 14, as we begin to walk through this text together. It's pretty amazing, so follow along with me. As you know, I'll try to make it as alive as possible because the words of God, the words of life are alive. And they impact us even today. This is what changes lives. So hear the word of the Lord. Remember what Jesus said now before we read this text. Remember what Jesus said a chapter earlier, John chapter 10 and verse 10. Remember, he came to give us life, but not just life, abundant life. And he illustrates that with a miracle. And here's the miracle. Then Jesus told them plainly, Lazarus has died. And for your sake, I'm glad that I was not there. So that you may believe, but let us go to him. So Thomas, called the twin, says to his fellow disciples, let us also go, that we may die with him. Thomas kind of had always a negative outlook on things. He kind of struggled with a positive attitude. And uh, Thomas did not realize that we don't die with Jesus, we live with Jesus. Verse 17, now when Jesus came, he found Lazarus had already been in the tomb four days. 
Bethany, where this miracle was performed, was near Jerusalem, about two miles off. And many of the Jews had come to Martha and to Mary and to console them concerning their brother, Lazarus. Lazarus had two sisters. Their names were Mary and Martha, which means Lazarus would have been their brother. So when Martha heard that Jesus was coming, she went and met him, but Mary remained seated in the house. Now, you can imagine maybe this scene. Can you? Are you a person of imagery? I love to picture, hey, Houston, good to see you, man. How's college going? Good. All right. Thumbs up from Houston. All right. Sorry about that. Just a little commercial there. All right. And uh, I love this guy. Got baptized here just a few weeks ago in our church. And so you can picture with me, if you would, maybe the reaction that Martha would have had as she saw Jesus coming towards her. She says to Jesus kind of rudely, Jesus maybe pointed a finger at him. Who knows? Jesus, Lord, if you had been here, my brother wouldn't have died. But even now, I know that whatever you ask from God, God will give you. And Jesus quickly says to her, your brother's going to rise again. Martha says, I know that he's going to rise again in the resurrection on the last day. But here is the key verse to the whole passage. Don't miss this. Jesus says to her, I am the resurrection and the life. Whoever, Jesus says, whoever believes in me, though he die, yet shall he live. And everyone who lives and believes in me shall never die. And then Jesus asks a very important question. Do you believe this? And I ask you that question this morning. Do you believe this. I want to take you through four lessons, four keys to this story, to unlocking this life in Christ and this abundant life, this refreshing life in Christ, this reviving liberty through Christ. Let's unlock all of that and see how this message can impact us in a refreshing way this morning, shall we? So many things, so much chaos in our world today. Isn't it nice to come to a place where springs of living water can just flow right from the Holy Spirit into our lives. And if you've never experienced what I'm talking about, you can today for the very first time. Number one, you must receive life from Christ. That's the first key to this. Do you have that? Do you have, have you received life from Jesus? You see, when Jesus raised Lazarus from the dead, it became an illustration of a greater spiritual life that you and I must have. Yes, it happened, but there's a a, a stronger message. There's a spiritual impact that this story can have on your life this morning. There was the one thing wrong with Lazarus, and you can tell the one thing that was wrong with Lazarus. It wasn't that he was sick. It wasn't that he had a high fever. It wasn't that he wasn't feeling well. Church, he was dead. I mean... Because there was only one thing wrong with him, there was actually nothing right with him. And how many things that you may think are right with you if you're not saved? There's only one thing wrong with you that makes anything else that you may think is right with you wrong. (laughs) You see, nothing else matters, really, until you receive life in Christ. Those who have never been saved, the Bible speaks of like this. They are dead. 
Not to sin, but dead in their sin. Dead in trespasses and sins. That's why we talk about new life in Christ. That's why Madison was wearing a t-shirt that said new life. Because before Madison was saved, before I was saved, before maybe you were saved, we were dead in our trespasses and sins. But Jesus said in John chapter number 11 in verse 26 that everyone who lives and believes in me shall never die. Do you believe this? It is possible to be physically alive and spiritually dead. And it is possible to be spiritually alive and physically dead. (laughs) Some would say, well, preacher, I struggle with that. What are you talking about? I don't... that, that." That's kind of a tongue twister. I'm as alive as I could ever be. I mean, I I went to a party last night. I'm having a good time with my life. If it it feels good, I just kind of do it. And I don't know much about what you're talking about, but I just can tell you this, man, I'm living life to its fullest. Maybe there's someone here today. Maybe there's a young lady here today that feels that way. I say that as a young lady because of what 1 Timothy 5, 6 says, that she that liveth in pleasure is dead while she liveth. But I think it would be appropriate to say that he that liveth in pleasure is dead while he liveth. And so if you want this refreshing life that produces a reviving liberty, you must have life from the Lord Jesus Christ. Look with me again at our text in And let's see what happens here, because it gets better. It gets gooder, all right? John chapter 11, look at verse 38. Then Jesus, deeply moved again, came to the tomb. It was a cave, and a stone laid against it. And Jesus said, take away the stone. Martha speaks up again, the sister of the dead man. (laughs) And she says to him, Lord, are you sure? Because by this time, there's going to be an odor. I mean, he's been dead four days. And Jesus says to her, did did I not tell you? Did I not tell you that if you believed, you would see the glory of God? So they took away the stone. And Jesus lifted up his eyes and said, Father, I thank you that you have heard me. I knew that you would always hear me. But I said this on account of the people standing around, that they may believe on your name. And when he had said those things, he cries with a loud voice. Lazarus, come out. (laughs) And the man who had died came out. Wow. How do you raise a dead man? How do we raise men who are dead in their sins? Well, let's begin with identifying some things that don't work. (laughs) Because there's a lot of things that Religion tries to raise people from the deadness of their sins that just don't work. Number one, a good example is not the answer. Remember, Jesus is the answer, not a good example. You could bring a dead man in a casket into the room with a bunch of live people and nothing's going to happen. I mean, you, everybody can live really, really good in front of him, like do all the right things and sing all the right songs and say all the right things. But my friend, a good example is not going to raise that dead man because people are not saved by your life. They are saved by his death. And salvation is not learning lessons from the life of Christ. It's receiving life from the death of Christ. And so a good example is, is not going to work. And secondly, What about encouragement? 
Is encouragement the answer? Can we just encourage people and you can do better and I know you can do it. Walk up to a casket. Here's a man that's dead. I know you can do it. Just get up. Come on. All the strength in you. Just get out of that grave. Get out of that casket. Sometimes I feel as if religion can teach that. Just do better. Just work harder. Just try harder. I'm going to tell you, encouragement is not the answer. And then environment is not the answer. We can take that casket to the best health spa in town. I like a health spa. I like a good massage from time to time. I'm not against it. But it's not going to raise a dead man. You see, man first died in the Garden of Eden, and I don't think there was ever a better environment than that. Do you? Environment is not the answer. Education is not the answer. It seems as if we live in a world where we can just educate people to the kingdom of heaven. 20 lessons on life. Just follow these 20 lessons and, and, and you will receive, you know, eternal life or forgiveness from your sins. Church, can I tell you what it took? It did not take education. It did not take encouragement. It was an environment and it wasn't a good example. It was a miracle. It took a miracle. How do you raise the dead to life? Remember all of this as an example to us in order that we might raise those who are dead in their trespasses and sins. And so we see here that what brought Lazarus to life, don't miss this, was the words of Jesus. It was his words. He said, Lazarus, come forth. And Lazarus came forth. Jesus had already taught them a very important lesson in John chapter 6 and verse 63. It is the spirit who gives life. The flesh is no help at all. The words that I have spoken to you are spirit. The words that I have spoken to you, the words are life. Isn't this incredible that I, Eric Pacey, pastor of this church, can call forth the dead? How can I do that? How can I stand up here this morning and confidently call forth those dead in their trespasses and sins to life? Because church, I have the words of Jesus Christ. I have his words. Jesus has given us his words. And that's why he said, or the apostle Paul said in Philippians in chapter 2 and verse number 16, that we are to hold fast to the words of life. How do you raise the dead? Not by example. Not by encouragement. Not by environment, not by education, but through the words of Jesus. Oh, listen, you must receive life from Christ. And this morning, I ask you, do you believe this? Jesus Christ has risen from the dead. Hallelujah. He has given his life that you might have eternal life. And on September the 1st, 1978, for me, I just celebrated my spiritual anniversary where I came to know my Savior in a personal, intimate, real way, and he changed my life forever. He came to give me life, and on that day, September the 1st, 1978, just celebrated that anniversary a few days ago, I received that life. I talk about it more than I do April the 1st, because I'll be honest with you, I would have rather never been born and not be born again. I'm so thankful today that not only was I born, but I was born again. I was given physical life, but thank God he gave me spiritual life as well. And he wants to give that to all of you here this morning. So you must receive life from Christ. Notice, secondly, you must have liberty through Christ. 
This is what God intends for all of us. He came to give us life, but not just life, life more abundant. Look, if you would, at John chapter 11, verse 44. Notice this. Notice this. Pay close attention to every word in this verse. But the man who died came out. He came out. He received life. His hands and his feet bound with linen strips. His face wrapped with a cloth. And and then Jesus says these words to him. Now remember, Jesus had already said, Lazarus, come forth. Now Jesus says, unbind him and let him go. Because Jesus doesn't just want to give us life. He wants to give us abundant life. You turn graves into gardens. (laughs) You turn seas into highways. Amen. You're the only one who can. That's what that song was all about. That's what Jesus came to do. He came to turn your tomb into a table. He came to turn your funeral into a feast. Jesus has an abundant life ready for you. He doesn't want us bound in the grave clothes of our old life. So many have been refreshed with liberty. Yes, they've received Christ, but they've never been revived. They've been refreshed with life, never revived with liberty. They've come to Calvary for pardon, but they've never come to Pentecost for power. And that's my hunger today for our church, is that we might understand this Pentecostal power that Jesus has for all of us today. The filling of the Holy Spirit of God. Lazarus has these grave clothes on. Oh, he had life. That's why James said in James chapter 1, verse number 21, put away filthiness. Put away this rampant wickedness. Put it away. Get rid of it. There's no need for it anymore. So many are saved, but they have the grave clothes of the old life on, and it's hindering them from ever really experiencing the abundant life that Jesus came to give us. Yes, you must receive Christ, but yes, this morning, you must have liberty from Christ. You see, the same Jesus that gives us life through a corresponding miracle gives us liberty. It's a miracle. You know, think about it, church. Really, salvation's a miracle, amen? It is a miracle. But can I tell you, living the Christian life is a miracle too. (laughs) And the resurrection, uh, one day uh, when we meet the Lord and and we're with him forever, our bodies come from those graves and meet the Lord in the air. That's a resurrection too. That's a miracle too. The Christian life is just a miracle. All of it's a miracle. Sometimes I think we get saved and then we just said, well, you know, one of these days it'll be nice when I get to go to heaven. You know, it can be pretty good today, by the way, if I could just suggest that. My wife loves this song. She's been listening to it. It's her favorite song. It's always on the radio. And it's a song that this group, again, we've been listening to a lot of this group, Maverick City. But she loves this song. Miracles on miracles, a million little miracles. And then this old boy just starts talking about all the miracles God's done in his life. And he just kind of starts over and over. A miracle after miracle after miracle after miracle after miracle. But I love the line, a million little miracles. And that's what God came to do. Show you that, yes, he wants you to receive life, and that's a miracle. But he wants to do a miracle in our lives every day. He wants to be real to us every single day. Yes, 
He breaks the power of canceled sin, but he sets the prisoner free. Jesus didn't call us from the grave of sin to leave us bound, gagged, and defeated. No, no, not that. Not at all. He came to do really what Madison said in those last words in her testimony. I feel so free now. Isn't that what John must have meant in John chapter 8 and verse 32 when he said, you will know the truth, or Jesus said, and the truth will set you free? And then in John chapter 8 and verse 36, if the Son sets you free, you will be free indeed. Oh, listen, we have the truth this morning. You say, where is it, Pastor? It's right here. It's the truth. (laughs) The truth of God's Word. I am preaching the Word of life. And the word can raise those who are dead in their trespasses and in their sins. And can I suggest this to all of us that are the church this morning? Isn't that really the ministry of the church? I mean, listen, not just to see people saved, but to see them get unwrapped. To see them become unbound. Isn't that what this discipleship is all about? It's taking people who have been set free, but who, or rather who have been saved, but yet not really set free from some of the things that, that have kept them from having an abundant life. I'm so thankful for those that unwrapped me. Oh, I got saved September the 1st, 1978. I'll never forget it. It was a simple gospel message. I, I actually walked an aisle, kind of a traditional story of like walking an aisle in church and coming forward, one of those stories. And I, I actually was led to Christ in front of the Lord's Supper table at, a, at a, just a church on a, on a Sunday morning. I mean, that was my, that was my or rather, I'm sorry, on a Christian school on a Friday afternoon. But there was a young man named Lance Laird. He was our youth pastor. I had kind of a deja vu moment because I've never thought about this until now, but I was doing the devotions, and some of you guys that were there remember this, Tuesday, remember when I was giving the devotions and I made mention of the fact that this is where my youth pastor lived when I got saved. The very house that I give devotions at every Tuesday morning at 7.30 is the same house that my youth pastor said the day I got saved, would you come over my house? I'd like to open up the scriptures and help you to grow in Christ. It hit me. As I was helping you guys grow in Christ, that's the same house my youth pastor helped unwrap me into an abundant life. I'm so thankful today. My youth pastor is about 63 years old now. And I mean, he, he wasn't much older than me at the time, about seven or eight years. But I'm so grateful for him and for the investment he made in my life. And we ought to spend time helping to unwrap others. Amen. That's what discipleship's all about. So if you would have a refreshing life, you've got to receive life from Christ. There is a reviving liberty to Christ, and there must be number three. Listen to this. Don't miss it. Loyalty to Christ. This is the product of our life in Christ. There is a loyalty that we have to Jesus, a commitment that we make to him. Let's continue to read in John chapter 12 and verses 9 and 10. This is an amazing, amazing two verses. Don't miss this. Pay close attention. When the large crowd of the Jews learned that Jesus was there, they came. Not only on account of him. Hang on. They did not just come because of Jesus, but also to see Lazarus, whom God had raised from the dead. 
He said, well, you know what? I, I just believe that, you know, people ought to just come to see Jesus. And I, I would not argue with you, but I would also say this. Some won't come to see Jesus until there's a Lazarus. Here's a man who God raised from the dead. Oh, yes, they came to see Lazarus, uh, Jesus, but they came to see what God had done. Lazarus had been raised from the dead. There's no way to explain. It was an irrefutable fact. And these people were amazed at what Jesus had done. I think about Cliff Kaufman. Cliff was a member of our church for 25 years before he died and went to heaven. Cliff's testimony was pretty strong. In fact, he is the, he's the daddy of Sonia Chittam. He's the, the grandpa of Bud Kaufman and, and Luke Chittam and others in our church. Cliff was a rough guy. I remember I used to, in the early days of our church, Cliff gave me a job because the church couldn't pay us hardly anything. So we'd go out, I'd go out with Cliff and he'd pay me a small commission to do these little jobs with him. And almost every house that Cliff went to, almost every house, he would give his testimony. He'd talk about how he was an old town drunk, how he'd run the streets and he was a mean guy. He just hard, hateful. Dirty mouth, filthy mouth, just a, just a tough guy. And then he, all of a sudden he'd just say, but you know what? Man, I'll never forget the day Jesus saved me. And he'd always say this every time. Jesus didn't save an old drunk, he saved an old sinner. And man, I tell you, Cliff, Cliff just would give that testimony. And I'd watch him lead people to Jesus that he went to sell a job to. And boy, they got more than just construction work. They got Jesus too. I miss him. I'll never forget the day I was out knocking on doors in our town, and I knocked on this one door, and I gave my name, Erica Pacey. I'm Pastor Gospelite. And they look, the guy looked at me before I could say anything else and said, are you Cliff Kaufman's pastor? I said, yes, sir, I am, and I'm, I'm proud to be. He's, he's, he's a wonderful man. He said, he wasn't always, you know. Oh, Cliff, he said, he was, oh, man, I mean, whew, he'd come, and you'd go the other way. You're scared of him. But I'll never forget the day he got saved. And I met him, and he was so nice and kind. And, and whatever had happened to him was radical and dramatic. And he said, I, I asked him, I said, Cliff, what happened to you? And he told me, and I said, really? And he said, you know, I got saved because I figured if God could save Cliff Kaufman, he could save me. Kind of a Lazarus story. You see, we all have a loyalty that, we, that Jesus Christ deserves. And when we follow Christ in this way, we can be a testimony to others. Listen, I look here at this loyalty that Lazarus had. He wasn't messing around in the tomb. He wasn't messing around in, his, with his, in the stench of death with the old life. He had experienced freedom. And as a result of that, notice in the next verse, the chief priest made plans to put Lazarus to death at well. Time out. Are you serious? He's already died and come back to life. Now they want to kill him again. Really? Because I'm going to tell you, when you get somebody like Lazarus with a testimony like Lazarus, that is a dangerous person in the devil's eyes, I'm telling you. And you'll be attacked by the demons of hell. The stronger your testimony, the stronger your witness, the fact that Lazarus' life was an irrefutable evidence of the power of Jesus Christ I think about so many people in our church who have that kind of a testimony. I could name one after the other of how God has saved them and radically changed their lives. But could I just offer myself as one of those radically dramatic changed lives as well? 
I wasn't saved out of alcoholism or drugs or anything like that. But I can tell you, when I got saved, everybody pretty much knew it. They could tell a difference. Something happened to me. Something changed. There's no way to explain these testimonies apart from the power of Jesus Christ. That's why the best argument for Christianity and the best argument against Christianity is the life of a Christian. Lazarus was that life. He was irrefutable proof of the power of Jesus, and that's why the Pharisees wanted to kill him. They wanted to get rid of him because they could not explain him away, so they thought they might blow him away. Do you think Lazarus was afraid to die? I don't think so. Do you think he was afraid to die? How could he be afraid to die? You know, he already died once. <laughs> Nobody is ready to live. Nobody is ready to live until he is no longer afraid to die. So how do you have an abundant, refreshing life? Number one, life in Christ. Number two, liberty through Christ. Number three, loyalty to Christ. And then I want you to notice one more thing. John chapter 12. Look at it with me if you would. John 12 and verse number one. Six days before the Passover, Jesus therefore came to Bethany where Lazarus was whom Jesus had raised from the dead. Now, notice this. This is beautiful. So they gave a dinner for him there. Martha served, and Lazarus was one of those reclining with him at the table. Church, would you for a moment imagine this scene? Look, think about it with me. Every time I read these two verses, I am, I'm, I'm just, it makes me so happy. Because I think about the fact that here, there's a dinner. And Jesus is at the table. And Martha is probably serving, because that's how she was. And Mary's probably worshiping at the feet of Jesus, because that's kind of how she was. And here's Lazarus. He's, he's got his feet kicked up. He's, I could see old Laz. He's got his feet kicked up at the table. He's just like maybe, he just finished, got a toothpick. He's just having a good old time with Jesus. Just sitting at a feast with Jesus. Number one, life in Christ, liberty through Christ, loyalty to Christ. But can I tell you something else? There will be a love for Christ. A love for him. That's what salvation is. Salvation is a feast. Lazarus had gone from the tomb to the table. He had gone from a funeral to a feast. Lazarus was fellowshipping with Jesus. Lazarus was feasting with Jesus. Lazarus was, was singing the old song, Every day with Jesus is sweeter than the day before. Can I tell you, listen to me, this life we call the life in Christ is an abundant life. It's a life of joy. It's a life that regardless of a hurricane, regardless of a, of a devastating uh, situation that happens, our, we don't sorrow like other sorrow who have no hope. We have a hope, and that hope is in Jesus Christ. And it's an amazing thing to say that not only is it refreshing to be saved, it's reviving to be free. And this morning, you can experience that personal revival in the presence of the Lord. You know, there's a song that just, part of the song is it just keeps getting better. You keep on getting better and better and better. We sang a moment ago, you turn graves into garden. There's nothing better than who? There's nothing better than Jesus. Someone said, you can take the whole world, just give me Jesus. Jesus. Jesus gives life. Jesus gives 
liberty. And as a result of that, it produces a loyalty and a love. Oh, church, if you're not saved this morning, if you're here this morning, you've never received Christ as your Savior, I want you just for a moment, in the stillness of this moment, I want you just to picture Jesus with open arms. And he's looking at you and he's saying this, come forth, come forth. I came to give you life. I died on the cross, Jesus says this morning, to give you life. Do you believe this? Do you believe this? If you've never been saved this morning, Jesus wants to save you. He wants to give you life. If you're dead this morning and your trespasses and sins, oh, physically you're alive, but spiritually you're not. Jesus today wants to save you and give you life. And in just a moment, when we stand and give what we call a response time, we're going to have an opportunity, if you'd like, and if the Lord is moving on you to come even during this service, like I did September the 1st, 1978, I didn't know any better. I just, I just came forth and received life. We'll be, after, we'll be here after the service for a while, too. None of us leave early. We're, we hang out for a while just, to, just in case there's anybody that wants to talk about this. But secondly, if you are a Christian, I want you to hear the words, unbind him, let him go, loose him, take those old grave clothes off, get free. I mean, listen, if you're still living with some of those old grave clothes on, Jesus says to you, oh, there's no need for that. I died for those sins. You can be dead to those sins. You can be alive in me, not just for salvation, but the freedom it is to live the Christian life every day with joy and gladness and singing. And so this morning, I I would ask you to hear the words that Jesus says, I've come to give you life. I've come to give you liberty. And I guarantee you, you'll not have any problem with being loyal and loving Jesus with all your heart. Shall we pray together? Father, thank you so much for this amazing, refreshing text. Lord, I never get tired of of reading about these incredible miracles with a message. Lord, you are the answer. You are the answer to my disappointment. You are the answer to my despair. Lord, you are the answer to my disability. Father, you are the answer to my desires. But God, you've also been the answer to my death. Lord, I believe... God, truly, I will never die. I have a promise of eternal life. Lord, I, like you, have been resurrected. God, thank you. Thank you for what Madison's baptism said to all of us. Buried, but raised to walk in newness of life. God, may we heed this call to live not only a life, but an abundant life. Speak to us through this song. May we be ministered to. May we respond. And if there's anybody here today that doesn't know you as their personal Savior, may today be the day. I pray these things in Jesus' name. Amen. Shall we stand together?